You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 615, time travelling back to 1984 for a quiz. Is it really the end of days for television and radio? And we say farewell to Jamie Reid and Robbie Robertson. That's all coming up after Paul Weller and Instant Karma. a distinguished songwriter in his own mm. right for some reason he seems especially to thrive when covering other people's songs yes very much so he's a great interpreter I he agree. really is that's the case here a really spirited cover of a john lennon song this is mm. from a compilation called fly on the wall b-sides and rarities mm. paul weller and instant karma very much agree. I really like that version, actually. And, I, and like you say, he's a great interpreter of songs. Him and the late, great Amy Winehouse doing Heard It for the Grapevine on mm. a uh, Hootenanny, a Jules Hootenanny. Mm. You had to say Hootenanny like that, don't you? But on a Jules Hootenanny, um, uh, yeah, like I say, some years ago now. But it was it was brilliant. They were both really fantastic. And he's a, he's a really good soul singer, Paul Weller. Yes. So I'm a yeah, big fan. Well, welcome along to the Parish Council. It's episode 615. Ooh. I'm Terence Stackham, and here she is, 
the Lauren James of broadcasting. <laughs> it's Juliet Harris. I promise not to tread on you at any point during the proceedings. Um, who knows? I'll just stick to scoring lots of goals instead of, you know, trampling on people in opportunity. Yes. In opportunity I was thinking moments. more of your elegance, panache, style. Well, that's the best very of your kind. Generation. That's very kind and uh, possibly inaccurate. Although, you know, I've never trodden anybody uh, deliberately. I've trodden plenty of people by accident. But anyway, hello, everyone. 1984 was an extraordinary year. Juliet mm. was born mm. on the 1st of September. But almost as extraordinary, <laughs> yes, <indeed. laughs> almost, but not quite, is this fact. In the whole year only of 1984, only five albums made it to number one on the US Billboard 200. Oh, wow. Okay. And one of them was only number one for one week. Oh, my gosh. So four, you know, you were there for the rest of the year bar one week. So I've got a quiz for you. Oh, gosh. Okay. Without Googling. Okay. I'm going to be giving you clues. Can you identify from clues what were those five albums that reached number one in America in 1984? I've got three clues for each album. The the first clue is a little bit tricky. Second clue a bit easier. Last clue, I'm more or less telling you what it is. Okay, Um, fine. So more points. If you can get it on the first or second. All right. Okay. Let's try. Five albums that made it to number one in America in 1984. Etc. Yes. Here we go. January the 7th to April the 20th. First 15 weeks of the year. Wow. Clue one. Seven of the nine tracks were top 10 hit singles. Thriller. Is correct. I knew one of them would be thriller. So I thought if yeah. I tried thriller early on, then then we'll see what's going on. Exactly. 15 weeks in a run. That's extraordinary. April the 21st to June the 29th. Mm. A little bit more trickier, this one. 10 okay. weeks. Clue one. It's a movie soundtrack album. Again, seven tracks of the nine were released as singles. So I'm going to give you a little bit more on this one. Kenny Loggins wrote and performed the title track. Footloose. Correct for Juliet Harris. And I hope Hurrah. the listeners. Yes, I, I I have faith in our listeners. Now, the really, really tricky one. This is the one oh. week album. Okay. June the 30th to July the 6th, 1984. One week. Only It, it is tricky because it only reached number 23 in the UK. So, oh, they, okay. They did have a handful of hit singles in the UK in the 80s. Okay. All right, then. Let's try. Clue one. It's Somebody, Somebody and the Somebodies. And the man's the main man's real name is Hugh Anthony Craig the Third. Somebody, somebody. Uh, in the Huey somebody. Lewis and the News. Very good. You you don't know the album. Oh, I don't, I won't um, um very good. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know the it, album. Sorry. I had forgotten it altogether. It was called Sports. Oh, okay, I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. Three out of three on the first clue. I don't think. You have too much trouble with the last two. Um, four weeks for the next one, July the 7th to August the 3rd. Hmm. Um, maybe we would have expected more. I don't know. Clue one, seven hit singles from 12 tracks. An iconic cover photo taken by Annie Libovitz. Purple Rain. No. Oh, OK. Two. All right. It followed his album Nebraska. Oh, Bruce, uh, born in the USA, Bruce Springsteen. Yes, yes, very good. So two, two uh, there. Finally, 22 weeks, the last 22 weeks of the year. August the 4th to December 31st. I, I didn't have a memory of this album being quite so successful. Clue one, a soundtrack album to the film of the same name. On Is the credit. This... <laughs> yeah, sorry, go on. Is, no, no, say, is this Purple Rain? It could very well be. <laughs> I was going to say, the title is a colour and a weather condition. Yes, it's Purple Rain. <laughs> it's Prince of Purple Rain. Um, so that's very good. So um, four you got on the first clue and uh, the, the um, Bruce you got on the second clue. So it's very, very good. Now, hmm. I was thinking, uh, I've got something else to ask you in a minute as well, which is like an extra bonus point. But I was thinking this wouldn't happen now. You know, albums fly in, don't they, to number mm, one for one week absolutely. and then sort of disappear, like drop like a stone. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's yeah, the, it's the, the, the days. 
And the seventies probably not dissimilar as well, I wouldn't think. The sixties and the seventies and those those big albums that you know, the ones that sold in sort of house loads like Rumours and um Dark Side mm. of the Moon and things Always, like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah big albums. I always remember feeling really depressed in the sort of I think it must have been the seventies when I wanted uh Joni and Crosby Stills and Nash to be at the you know, in the in the top ten and James Taylor and the, and always the sound of music soundtrack would always mm. be hanging around in there in the top 10 and so you'd have like led zeppelin the rolling stones the beatles joni mitchell the sound of music yeah uh, exactly it's oh. just ridiculous isn't it really now juliet harris here's mm. a bonus how many albums that's five we know in america okay. All right. how many albums made it to number one in the uk in 1984 mm. so 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 what was the, the figure from us again it was five five mm. um Let's say 10. 17. Ooh. What a contrast. Wow, and yes. What I found quite interesting about this was that uh, the first two weeks were taken up with the very, very first. Now, that's what I call music. Mm, okay. It took two weeks. Um, released late, for the Christmas market, I said. Presumably so, yes. yes. Um, they, they then released Now, That's What I Call Music later in the year. That did five weeks. And then right at the end of the year, another record company kind of thought, we'll get into this and called it the Hits album. They had yes. So if you added up all the Now, That's What I Call and Hits, they took up 21 weeks of the 52. Wow. And yet there were another 14 albums. So there was a real Gosh. spread. Yes. There's some interesting things. Paul Young, No Parlay, made one <laughs> The the interesting thing is how many weeks did Thriller stay at number one? One week in, wow. the, in the UK, wow. as opposed to what the you know the four hundred and That's no whatever. Really it was. interesting. The fifty first fifteen mm. weeks of the year in America, one week here. Eurythmics Touch two weeks. Simple Minds Sparkle in the Rain one. What a different mm. era. Thompson Twins into the gap three. Wait for this one. Howard Jones Human Lib two weeks. Wow wow. Lionel Richie can't slow down two. Bob Marley had the longest run of anybody with his uh, greatest hits called Legend. Exodus. Twelve. Oh, le- Legend, yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, you would think rather like we said with Thriller, Bowie tonight, one week. Mm, but then Gucci. I don't. Rem- I don't remember that album as I mean I'm very I'm weak. Not, yes, very I was going to say album. that's not one of his more celebrated records, is it? You two, the Unforgettable Fire, two weeks. Mm. Paul McCartney's soundtrack album, Give My Regards to Broad Street, one week. Uh, Frankie goes to Hollywood. Welcome to the Pleasure Dome. Only one week. Now that is surprising. Uh, and Wham, make it big too. And the rest of them, as I say, were all those hits. And now that's what yes, they call me. all the comps. Yeah. So a real contrast mm. uh, to the American market. Really interesting, isn't it? And also. I don't know. I feel like at that time, and you know, you could talk about this. So the cars will come home. But mm. the, actually, the mainstream in the eighties was actually quite edgy, wasn't it? In a way, and and it was uh, there was much more of an independent record label scene that kind of came through. Mm. And maybe that's reflective of that to some extent. You didn't have these. You, it was less of the big conglomerates that that, that that dominated in America. There was still space for slightly more unusual things to happen here, I think. And I know all those acts are sort of, you know, acts that you've heard of. But I I just think it's quite interesting that they're all they're all a bit edgy, aren't they, really? Yeah, there's and a I real find that spread, isn't there, from mm. sort of Marley, obviously, reggae, Lionel Richie, American soul. And then, you know, Howard Jones and Simple Minds. And the Thompson Twins. I mean, and that's a lot more. Twins. That's a lot more kind of leaning yeah. towards the alternative isn't it you wouldn't necessarily say they were alternative at that point but uh yeah maybe it's more reflective of britain being a smaller island and yet somehow more diverse far less homogenized than what was going yeah. on in the states and far yeah. less corporate at that point in time anyway i think I, I, I again i think you're right there i think the american thing is um a, a dual there's dual reasons one is exactly that sort of corporate record companies promoting with a fever uh the these the big albums and i also think mtv hadn't quite caught on over here but mtv was two or three years old in america by this time and of course all of these um albums had um fantastic videos to get to go with them particularly the michael jackson yeah so i think the heavy rotation on mtv i think propelled uh, these albums and kept them at the top yeah absolutely and that again i don't know when mtv launched over here in the uk but it was far less dominant at that point and actually it really was yeah it did catch on to some extent over here i think but because it was never on 
pay because it was only ever on pay for TV yeah, because it wasn't yeah. on on the terrestrial channel channels here. Cable wasn't wasn't as big here as it was in America, was it? Absolutely not. I mean, I, I'm not even sure if we really had proper cable TV at that time. We it was mainly on satellite on the um, on the, the sky dish on your house, yeah, you dish in your house, yeah. and that's how you got MTV. Yeah, I found that all rather you know quite fascinating. Mm, it is interesting. Coming right up, it's the end of the world as we know it for television and radio. Plus, maybe it's time to bin your DVDs. <laughs> or maybe it isn't. That's next, after the Ra Band. Good evening. This is the Intergalactic Operator. Can I help you? Yes. I'm trying to reach Flight Commander P.R. Johnson on Mars Flight 247. Very well. Hold on, please. Yes, Thank you, Operator.
thought of myself as fairly across 80s kind of weird pop and alternative and that sort of thing. And I wasn't familiar at all with with uh, with this until um, an online pal of mine posted it on their Instagram the other day because they were very fond of it. And a friend of theirs had managed to find the single of it for their birthday, the, the, the seven inch single on vinyl. I'd never heard this. And I just thought it was really... I just was really charmed by it. I just found it a bit strange and a bit spacey and a bit out there and a bit, you know, I just thought it was great. It's um, it's the raw band, so Richard Anthony Hewson's initials. The vocals are provided by his wife, Liz, who was styled as Dizzy Lizzy on this. And I just think that's great. It got to number six in the UK chart in 1985, and it's called Clouds Across the Moon. It's lovely to hear that again. I don't think I've heard it since 1985 when Tony Blackburn would have been playing it on his mm. soul show on, on mm. BBC Radio London. Um, but it's, it's and it got those, um, those drums there. Boom, boom. Uh, yes, percussion it's, sound it's, fantastic. It's, it's charming, isn't it? Ping. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you won't do that for the rest of the program. I promise you that was my last ping, yes. Um, <laughs> it comes to us all at various parts of our lives. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's embarrassing, really. I'm just in, <laughs> you know, in a social situation and I just go boom. <laughs> R- reports from uh, Ofcom this week of the sharpest ever decline in traditional TV viewing in the UK mm. with the suggestion that older audiences are switching off at the fastest rate, uh, change to streaming services, of course, felt to be responsible. I thought one of the most interesting stats in this report is that viewing amongst children and young a- adults has dropped 73% mm. in 10 years. And I just got a theory, Jules, that I think traditional broadcasters should should consider quite seriously we 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 know how we know how clips on facebook snapchat insta are, are all altered mm. how people, people see the world i just want to consider tiktok for a moment if mm. i said to you or any any young person let me show you this funny clip on tiktok oh and by the way i'll just show you this it, it lasts for 28 minutes every young person would turn away 28 minutes that's mm. two the average length of a tiktok video is apparently under 30 seconds average mm time so jules if with that in mind that young people are now choosing to watch 30 seconds videos 30 second videos on tiktok why on earth would television broadcasters expect a young audience to watch 30 or 60 minute programs it's interesting isn't it and rather sad really that that mm. mobile phones are destroying and shredding our concentration and our staying power so badly aren't they really i'm sure that they've yeah. impacted on my i'm not saying this is criticism i'm very sure the same things happened to me um someone posted a, a meme recently on social media that said you know when they review tv programs um you feel like saying is there a, you know is there a sort of percentage likelihood you know basically can i go on my phone during this and still follow what mm. is going on on the tv yeah like you say it's interesting that you know young people just don't don't consume content in that way anymore it's it's really interesting having said that it means weird and interesting things happening on tv at the moment there was a program on recently and i don't want to go into too much detail about Mm. it because it's worth what i still haven't seen it yet but um the guardian wrote it up afterwards because it was so weird now what appeared to be a programme on Channel 4 at about half eight on a Monday evening with Greg, well, your man Greg Wallace in it. Mm. Have you read about this? Talking yes, about I have. Yes, factory. I didn't watch it, but I've read about and, it. Yes, and, and in fact, it, it's, a, it's a sort of social, it's a satire, quite a, a toothy satire about um, cost of living crisis, etc. And all is not what it seems at the meat factory. And that was just snuck out apropos of nothing on a on a on a Monday evening and and yes and and maybe no sort of fanfare or hoo ha no and that's what gave it its impact I think Mm. and 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 and, yeah maybe we'll I was thinking maybe you could flip this round and say Mm. that we might be about to approach weirdly a golden age of TV possibly because think of the stuff that's going to get made when people when, when it's thought that or that big audiences aren't watching i wonder if i would like to um, you know who knows maybe i'm just being too nostalgic but maybe we're going to see some stranger things on tv some more innocent and weird mm. things like we might did on the on the 80s and channel 4 when all of a sudden there was a fourth channel to film so literally anything could get made and there was some really interesting and edgy stuff as a result of it maybe we might be going back to that time i don't know streaming 
the issue with streaming for me is and I was discussing this with my girlfriend the other day we were trying to work out we said we we do the same thing every time we go what shall we watch you know let's watch something she doesn't have a tv I do have a tv but it rarely gets switched on now so so we said okay then what should we watch I've I've got Amazon Prime she's got Netflix so we'll, we'll look on Netflix and see what we'll watch I think we spend more time going through the Netflix <laughs> menu trying yes. to find something that one that one of the other of us hasn't seen that that is is the length of time that we've got to watch something in before we pass out and want to go to bed and uh, because we are you know functionally middle-aged and and you know and in the end do you know what what happens terence we go oh should we watch something on iplayer and then we go on the iplayer look at the thing that is advertised and then watch that so we're yeah. working our way through yeah. Wolf at the moment because we grew up on TV, the two of us, and we're quite fans of TV drama and TV mm. comedy, and we want to watch stuff, but we just get paralysed by the mm. choice on Netflix, by mm. the randomness of how its menus are arranged, how one minute, how how they don't seem to theme anything in a sensible way. No. So. So you scroll across and go, okay, then. So biggest baking fails, a documentary about German serial killers, Pepper Pig, and like something, and you know, and and an episode of Criminal Minds that we've already seen. I mean, it, it it's just it's so doesn't seem to make any sense at all. So part of me wonders if sometime maybe maybe linear TV will make a comeback because sometimes I just want to switch BBC Four or BBC Two on and sit down and maybe. We might be getting to the stage where life is too short to be perusing through menus. Wouldn't it just be nice to watch TV? So, so I don't know if that might make a comeback possibly. Well, yeah, I don't it, know how that solves your young people not being able to watch things for more than thirty seconds. But um, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe it might make a comeback. It's an interesting point. I think UK TV companies are clinging on and using stats that show one thing to prove something else mm. because they point out some TV moments uh, in the in the last year to show large audiences. But these are either major major yes. uh, public times of coming together, like the Queen's funeral, for example. And that's interesting that TV still matches. has a role for that. I think it, it, it does. It brings the, it does bring the nation together in those it times. Does. It's usually like football match finals, um, yes. or you know, something to do with the, the royal family. Um, if you take those out, though. Traditional television is, is in major mm. trouble, and I think the yes. fewer people that watch, of course, the less advertisers want to pay the broadcaster, and a, and a spiral begins. Mm. But meanwhile, according to the latest Rajar figures, radio mm. isn't doing too well either. Radio 2 has lost a million listeners in the slot mm. previously occupied by Ken Bruce, which, what a terrible, really terrible decision that looks in hindsight uh, to yes. let him go so easily. Um, also and to radio, let him go somewhere else so quickly as well. Yeah, well, why was there no handcuff? Really poor, poor decision. At um, also at Radio Two, Zoe Ball continues to lose mm. listeners. This is astonishing. Half a million listeners lost quarter to quarter, which is eye-watering. That's, that's 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 insane. No, that doesn't feel. That, I, I uh, like Zoe Ball, but that doesn't feel sustainable to me. But now, anyway. interestingly, Jules, the BBC Sounds app, originally heavily criticised mm. for its clunkiness, including yes. think, by you and me. Yes. Um, has shown a huge surge, a 50% increase year on year, which is in a sense another vote for streaming, Absolutely. only this time with audio. Yeah, and we and we use them. Um, so so we listen to a lot of podcasts, and I think we almost always use the Sounds app for that. Mm. And I think I've said that previously, and it works really well actually. Now now they seem to have worked out what to do with it. It is really good at recommending things that you'll like if you're like this, for example. And it's mm. also really good because the the schedules of what's been played previously. If I've listened to Six Music in the Car and heard a record I've liked and, and not had a chance to find out what it is, they're really good at updating all of. The the um the little um the little sort of track listings of what's been most recently played it's really handy for that and it has links now that you can go on to streaming sites and find the songs mm. and well, that works really well good. so actually that's you say not so much mainstream radio but that's where the bbc have, have, have sort of done quite well i think i think that's that's working that's working well as the sort of arm with their radio offering and there's a lot of good archive stuff on there as well Yes, I, th I think that that's that's so, and probably is more the the future. Of course, something to listen to when you want to listen to it, rather than exactly. having something imposed. Um, I have a I have a DVD player which gets dusted at least once a week, and it sits mm. handily on a shelf just below the TV. 
But I genuinely can't remember the last time I played a DVD. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I took all the DVDs off their shelves and boxed them up. And it's probably only a matter of time before I take them to the tip. This ties in with recent reports that companies like Disney uh, are going to stop producing DVDs altogether because everyone is switching to the instant mm. click of Disney Plus on Netflix or the countless others. So, Jules, it also looks like DVDs are joining CDs on the scrap heap for many. Indeed, which will make my other half very upset because she's a very big fan of the DVD and the menu and the Easter egg and, and mm. will be genuinely upset that you can't get them anymore. Um, Yeah, like, you know, they've, they've gone the same way as VHS, haven't they, very sadly, albeit easier to store than VHS were. And, you know, I think I'm going to, you know, it's the same thing that applies. Sometimes it's quite nice to only have 20 DVDs to choose from. Yeah. But, you know what, should we just watch one of these? And actually, my people like my parents and their friends still buy DVDs. Because for really? people that can't, well, they do watch stuff on streaming. But there's there's quite a sort of market between them and their friends. They hire them from the library. They don't go to the cinema very much anymore. And actually, mm. it's cost effective compared to it. Now, things are as such that if you buy a DVD, it's it's far more cost effective than going to the cinema. We watched sure. the most recent Bond film because I've managed to, you know, when you think that something's hooky and you're a bit worried that you've probably been scammed out of some money. Well, mm-hmm. I bought, I pre-ordered no time to die the most recent bomb film um so it came out of the cinema in it was late 21 wasn't it because it was still sort of mm. covid times wasn't it and and oh and, that's right it, yes yeah. and so i ordered it for 9.99 on ebay and shockingly it arrived before christmas which we were rather surprised at so we watched it on new year's day and we tried to work out how much money and inconvenience it would have cost for us to go to the cinema because it wasn't on streaming at that point. Mm. Weirdly, it was out on DVD before it was out on streaming. And um, and yeah, we worked out that it would have cost one ticket would have cost nine ninety nine probably sure, if that. Yeah. And we would have had to have all gone and driven and parked and bought stuff in the cinema and all that kind of stuff. So for people like my parents there's still a there's still a market for dvds mm. i think and I, I i do rather like the sort of extra features you used to get on them and the director's commentary would, mm. would, would often be quite entertaining so i you know i can see why now we have streaming they're uh they're they're not so much with us but uh it's a pity because they they were quite a good format i think and also who doesn't love a box set Yes. Yeah, I know what you mean. This is I I um I, I re- where I really agree with you on this is the extra content, the yes. Easter eggs, the director's cut and any other sort of features you get. And I, in in my particular case case I have uh, mm full box set of of Seinfeld from beginning to end mm. and the most intriguing parts of it are the interviews with the cast yes. the director the easter eggs the um outtakes chats with Larry David about writing it and so on and um I imagine I mean I must admit I don't know for sure but I don't think I've ever seen any of that sort of content on the streaming services Mm, I, I yeah, don't, exactly. I'm, I'm no, not sure I don't think that's I have. available. I think I don't you just think get I the have. movie and or the you know the series or yeah, whatever, and exactly. that's it. Exactly, and yeah. you don't get any of the of the feature. It's all deleted scenes as well, which is yeah, amazing. quite yeah. Still, there's more to come, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we'll be mm. looking at the impact of the careers of Jamie Reed and Robbie Robertson. Mm. Um, that's right after the rifles.
strange career to date. Uh, their albums all sell well still, but their, their, um, their first five singles were all hits. But since then, their next 15 singles have all failed to chart, which it mm. beats me. Very strange career. Mm. But this is one of those early successful singles, uh, 36 on the UK Top 40 in 2005, The Rifles and Local Boy. Absolutely. One of those bands who you felt had as good a chance as any of the bands of that era of being successful. Some of their bands are rather unkindly referred to as landfill indie. But uh, one of those groups that you just think, you know, I'm just surprised that they didn't make more of a breakthrough, really. Mm. Like, the, um, you know, maybe they, did, they didn't do an Ordinary Boys and send a singer on Big Brother. I don't know. But um, <laughs> they were. Yeah, exactly. But they're one of those bands that you just think, well, yeah, I'd, if, if any of those bands of that era were successful, why weren't they too, really? Very strange, like you say. If you like that, they're at Brighton Comedia on August 24th. Oh, are they? Mm. They are. And the Electric Ballroom in London on October 27th. Mm. Much as my colleagues and I wholeheartedly deplore the vulgar exploitation of the worst instincts of human nature for the purchases of commercial profits by both you and your company, we must reluctantly find you not guilty of each of the four charges. That was the chairman of the magistrates in Nottingham exonerating mm. Chris Seal, the manager of the Virgin Shop oh, in Nottingham, yes. who in 1977 had been charged with various offences for displaying the Sex Pistols album in the windows of the Virgin store in Nottingham. Mm. Richard Branson brought in John Mortimer QC uh, and paid for him to defend Chris Seal. Um, Mortimer, of course, bedazzled the magistrates, and thus it was established that it was legal to display mm. the Sex Pistols album in Windows. And it was designed, the album was designed by Jamie Reed, who died this mm. week. George, in most ways, Jamie Reed's time in the spotlight was very short-lived, but I think there's no doubt that in, in oldie worldy 1977, his visual sleeve designs tied in perfectly with the aim of the music of the Sex Pistols. Absolutely, and I have to be really honest here. I didn't know that Jamie Reed was called Jamie Reed until he passed away this week. I didn't know who he was. Mm. However... I knew his artwork straight away, and I bet that so much of Britain is in a similar position to that. I, I, in the, I'm not saying that I know everything, but I, do you know what I mean? I, I think he's one of those people whose whose work was absolutely iconic without necessarily being as well known as his art. I don't think possibly, but um, yeah, like you say, absolutely. If ever there was a marriage between music and imagery, it was just spot on, wasn't it, really? Is is there anybody that, that when you're told God save the Queen if you shut your eyes, wouldn't see that that incredible image? I mean, exactly. how, how talented. What what a bit like um Peter Blake and Sergeant Pepper, really. Mm. What a well, if mm. it, it, you know, I, I know Jamie Reed did lots of amazing work, but you know, if you're gonna have a calling card, why not make it something that incredible and something that enduring as well? Well, it seems Jamie Reed made the most of those short few months mm. of fame because he lived a comfortable life selling prints of those sleeve designs because yes. he kept the copyright. Uh, oh, the that's very, work. very shrewd, and, isn't um, it? Yes, indeed. Each one selling for just over a thousand pounds each, each print. So Incredible. I don't think, yeah, he really didn't undertake much other work after 1977. But you know, what, why not? Have you got if you make a few bob, why not enjoy right, your indeed. life? And also, yeah. he, his interesting um, former partner was the actress Margie Clark, with whom yes, he had a daughter. But also, an interesting. Did you know about his druid life? No, I didn't know so about his, his So I just looked this up uh, earlier today because I knew we were going to talk about this. His great uncle was someone called George Watson McGregor Reed, who was a modern druid who established <laughs> and led the Church of the Universal Bond. And uh, Jamie Reed was an honorary bard in the Good Order Lord. of Bards, Ovates and Druids and has worked with Philip Cargom, who's the Order's former chosen chief, to produce <laughs> a book on the eight festivals of the Druidic calendar. So who knew that? That he was such well, a, a big druid as well. That all, I, I mean, I didn't realise the druids were this extensive. No, absolutely. Well, uh, I'm very surprised. I knew he was married to Margie Clark, but I didn't. I didn't know about the druid thing. No. Also leaving us this week, uh, Robbie Robertson of the band. And mm. for my generation, again, this was way before your time, Jules, but for my generation, the band really did provide something new. They seemed to sit 
somewhere between the rock centres of Los Angeles and New York, with their their strong influences. We we now call it Americana, of course, but you know, sort of country drawn into a sort of folk rock mix. And I remember buying the album, the band, uh, self-titled album in 1970, and really did find it an extraordinary blend of those styles that I mentioned. They were just such a long way from from Led Zeppelin and Crosby, Stills and Nash. And of course, George Robbie Robertson, as well as his guitar work, he wrote The Weight, mm. the They Drove All Dixie Down, and his wonderful solo hit Somewhere Down the Crazy River. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm familiar with those, not hugely familiar with the big work of the band. I did no. see the film with Bob Dylan in it, The Last Wars, the last wars. a very long time ago as a teenager. Um, I think shown to me by somebody who felt I should see it, and I think mm. I nodded along in a vaguely interested way. I first came across <laughs> I first came across The Weight. Interesting, and this does show our different generations, I'm afraid, because the, I used to buy tape singles when I was younger, and I think it was on... I think it was on Coming Around by Travis. It might have been that lovely song. Um, oh. They covered it on the B side, and I thought it was brilliant. And I and I, but I didn't know I didn't know the song. I didn't know they hadn't written it until I looked at the credits and saw it was written by somebody else. Mm. And then once. Um, once iTunes came in, it was one of the first songs I bought, I think, because I wanted to hear it. And uh, I think I bought that and For What It's Worth by Buffalo Springfield, mm. also of that era, because I didn't have those albums. We didn't have those albums. Yeah. You know, I, I wasn't. And that's where I know we talk about streamer. That's where iTunes itself was really quite innovative at the time. The idea that you could just buy a single track, that you didn't have to oh, buy a absolutely. whole album. I yeah, got so many things, exactly. Yeah. And also as a youngish woman, you didn't have to walk in and be patronised by some bloke in a record shop. Mm. If you wanted to buy something poppy, you could just buy it off iTunes. So so that's how I first came across them. Yeah, what a great songwriter, Robbie Robertson. I mean, to, to have even one of those songs in your kind of catalogue would be amazing, wouldn't it? But to have, have three of that standard is something else. The Times, and it just got, it's like going off, off script for a moment, but the Times in the 1970s. Mm. Well, just what you were saying, when one would hear a, a track on the radio, I think that's fantastic. They, oh, they've got an album out. I'll go and buy it. And then found you spent like like five ninety nine on an album with 12 tracks, 11 of which were absolute tortuous rubbish. And then there was that one golden track that you like. Yeah, so that, exactly. That, if Napster did nothing else, uh, it was that leading to exactly what you say of the split of album tracks into individual doses uh, that one could buy individually without having to be buying an entire package that you may have no further interest for. Exactly, but, exactly. Yeah. Well, the band's influence was it was huge over here, actually, especially in London, because in the years of pub rock in the early to mid 70s, Every band in London seemed to model their look on the band mm. and you know, well-worn jackets, uh, yes. beards, and almost every one of those pub rock bands used to finish their set with the weight or rag mama rag. And you can absolutely hear the band's influence mm. on, for example, early Elton John. And I mean, he you know, quite uh, often will um, acknowledge that. And then, of course, they acted as the band, as you mentioned, for Bob Dylan, um, ending up with it in, in the, the last waltz, which was arguably through his best years. So, um, yeah, it deserved probably much higher accolades uh, than he did during his lifetime. Robbie Robertson of the band. Very much agree. Thanks very much for listening this week. Good to have you there. Thank you, as always. A delight to be along. Well, now... We spoke about radio stations losing listeners. Mm. And that's, of course, I know the answer. It's because, of course, <laughs> they're all heading for the smooth sailing show with Juliet Harris. Absolutely. Come one, come all to Noisebox. I, I don't think we I'm not aware of our radio figures. Maybe I need to ask somebody about that. Who knows? If Zoe Ball fancies coming and uh, trying herself out on smooth sailing, she's very welcome to come and assist me. That would be lovely. Uh, smooth sailing, 7 to 9 p.m. on uh, noiseboxradio.com. Also available on Mixcloud. And it's a lovely mix of Yacht Rock, uh, Yacht Rock M.O.R. Um, relaxing and uplifting stuff for a Sunday evening. And uh, to play us out, a single um, with a strong sampling vibe uh, behind it. Absolutely. Used famously on Fairground by uh, by Simply Red. 
I, I was driving home and I was still, still working in Bexhill pre lockdown a few years ago. I remember driving home and I'd always have about a 12 minute drive home and I'd or 15 minute drive home and I would just hear whatever Steve Lamack would be playing on Six Music at the time. And I'd often be frustrated because, you know, there were several occasions, I regret to say it, where I wouldn't hear a female voice in 15 minutes worth of drive, which I didn't think was very good. But anyway, every so often he would stray away from sort of shouty post punk men with guitars and play something completely unexpected. Did. and he played this once this is in like 2019 which one wouldn't expect to hear this on the radio in 2019 and i had to say it was a joy and i think they had hundreds of people texting in saying how nice it was to hear it it's a lot of fun i heard fairground in the wild for the first time in some years at the weekend at a party so i thought i'd go back to the source on this this is the good men and give it up
listening to a Parish Council production.